0: Before I start reading, a little bird told me that it's Ann Cop's birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday, Ann! (laughs) Our scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, All in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would enable us to uh, encounter Jesus through this text this morning, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Morning. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, again, it's always good to be here and to worship with you and to preach. Uh, I thought I'd give you a little bit of context on that text. I'm sure to you it seemed a little bit out of the blue. You know, why are we reading this particular text? Uh, In the Anglican tradition, we have what's called a lectionary. uh, And that appoints readings to be read for every Sunday of the year. So that was the gospel that was appointed for today and what I preached on this morning. Uh, And our lectionary generally follows the life of Jesus. So at Christmas, we read about his birth epiphany on january 6th to read about the wise men the sunday after that was uh, his his uh, baptism in the jordan then the uh, first first miracle at cana last sunday jesus arrives back in his hometown and starts to read scripture in his home church at his home synagogue in nazareth and this is what he says so this is for this is the text from last week just for some context he gets up and he reads from the prophet isaiah He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he sits down and says, Today this scripture is fulfilled. In other words, I'm this guy, I'm the Messiah. And he's doing this in his hometown in Nazareth. So that's the context. That's the text that immediately precedes this text today. So I want to today on uh, for our sermon. I want to try to answer two questions with respect to this reading that we just had. The first one is what does Jesus encounter in his hometown in response to his teaching, and the second question is what is Jesus' response to what he encounters, and then we'll look at how these things might apply to us today. So question a what does jesus encounter in his hometown and i've got four four points here the first one is this at first jesus encounters a spirit of flattery a spirit of flattery if you uh, are are, you have your bibles you can look at luke 4 uh, starting at verse 22 the text says this and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth the term gracious words is more literally rendered words of grace, and this word grace here does not mean mercy or favor like it means in some other translations, but this, this word grace in this text means beauty or attractiveness. So there's something magnetic about Jesus that the Nazarenes are initially attracted to, but note that they speak well of him and they marvel not at the content of his teaching, but at his gracious words. They are attracted to his charisma and skill as a teacher. So at first, they're a little bit smitten with him. Flattery is defined as excessive and insincere praise, given especially to further one's own interests. So given the fact that things go south very quickly in the second part of verse 22, this seems to be what the Nazarenes are doing. Initially, they spoke well of Jesus and marveled because their approval of this new teacher reflected well on them. They enjoyed the privilege of giving their authoritative approval in the synagogue. Oh, yes, we approve of this guy. His words are quite gracious. But we know it's not sincere because as soon as they figure out who this teacher is, they change on a dime. They change just like that. Second point is, almost immediately, the spirit of flattery turns to a spirit of envy, a spirit of envy, and they said, is not this Joseph's son? They are happy to speak well of Jesus until they figure out who he is. Isn't this the carpenter's boy? Remember, Jesus would have grown up attending the synagogue, this very synagogue, on Sabbath days. He would have sat under the teaching of the synagogue elders many of whom were probably still present and looked up to as authority figures in this community. And now, this unlettered carpenter's son, without any formal rabbinical training, comes into the synagogue and captivates the congregation by his gracious words. What's more, this Jesus, son of Joseph, who used to run around the aisles in the synagogue as a boy— is now claiming to be the messiah what a preposterous idea it's uh, it's difficult to find a contemporary situation that we can compare this to but it would be kind of like if my best buddy jay eisenhower anybody know jay eisenhower yeah okay let's say he started coming to saint timothy's and claiming that he was really the guy that should be in my role the assistant priest role right Perhaps he was asked to preach and completely captivated the parishioners by his words and his vision. Soon there are rumblings that maybe this should be the guy that should be teaching and preaching and leading services. How do you think I'd feel about that? (laughs) You think I'd be like, yeah, this is a good idea. Step right in here. No, I'd be like, wait a second, Jay? My best buddy, the guy I grew up with from childhood? He is not a priest, he's a carpenter don't be deceived. I know this guy. I've known him my whole life. He can't be the one that he claims to be. Envy is defined as a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or situation. And this appears to be what's taking root at Nazareth. Jesus, Joseph's son, that working class peasant teaching us? I don't think so. Thirdly, Jesus encounters and identifies a spirit of entitlement, a spirit of entitlement. Verse 23, and he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. What does this mean? (laughs) Now apparently the Nazarenes had heard some rumors that Jesus was doing some stuff signs and wonders and healings in Capernaum. But in all the years that he had been among them in his hometown, they had never seen him do anything quite like that. Wait a minute, Jesus. Why wouldn't you do your signs and wonders first here in your hometown? Are we not good enough for you? Surely we should get preferential treatment over Capernaum. We raised you, Jesus. You owe us. Sensing the spirit of entitlement, Jesus lets him have it. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. But Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a widow in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian you think i owe you something jesus says i would sooner take my ministry to lepers and gentiles in a scathing indictment jesus compares the nazarenes to israel in the days of elijah and elisha israel wouldn't receive the ministry of their own prophets so elijah and elisha ministered to the enemies of israel gentiles from sidon and syria The scope of Jesus' mission here has grown to a level that the Nazarenes are just not comfortable with. Jesus came for the sake of the whole world, but the Nazarenes are upset that they are not the ones getting preferential treatment. They have a spirit of entitlement. They don't realize that Jesus' mission has far outgrown any earthly allegiance he has to his hometown, and they can't see beyond the walls of their own synagogue or beyond the borders of their own town. And really, uh, the Nazarenes are serving as a symbol in this text for Israel as a whole. Going back to Abraham, God's purpose for blessing Israel was always for the purpose of blessing the nations. God blessed one man, Abraham, so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But Israel's only concern was maintaining their status as the chosen people the privileged ones. But Jesus will have none of this. I will not favor you just because you are Nazarenes, he says. If you won't accept me, I will take my ministry to those who will. We're reminded of the words of John the Baptist to the crowds who came to be baptized in the Jordan. Remember when he says, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for abraham even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire in other words just because you happen to be born jewish or born christian or born into this family or that country or that family doesn't mean that you are entitled to an automatic in with god peter builds on this idea in acts 10 he says truly i understand that god shows no partiality but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him but the nazarenes don't get this physician heal yourself start at home why are you doing things there and not doing them here we're your people you should be doing your stuff here they're entitled fourthly in reaction to Jesus' scathing words, the Nazarenes respond with a spirit of anger. A spirit of anger. Verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Huh. So they, now that Jesus' uh, gracious words are a different, distant memory remember the first first verse of this text they were all you know saying oh this guy is a great teacher great we love this guy he's great and now they're trying to push him over the cliff how quickly they've turned the spirit of flattery quickly turns to a spirit of envy which gives way to a spirit of entitlement and finally to a spirit of anger the pride of the nazarenes has been attacked to such a degree that they are willing to kill to defend their pride and that's what all this is really about isn't it pride all of these movements flattery envy entitlement anger they're all the fruits of pride so how does jesus respond to his rejection in his hometown verse 30 but passing through their midst he went away he went away powerful words there and he went down to capernaum the people that the Nazarenes were envious of. He goes to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, which would have stung even more. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching for his word-possessed authority. The text doesn't say how Jesus passed through their midst. Uh, Commentators have uh, wondered about this. Was it the force of his presence? Uh, Did he say, remember, like in, in John's Gospel, where he says, i am he and everyone falls down as if they're dead uh, or does he say some words in the crowd parts we don't know what we do know with is that it wasn't jesus time yet to die he was appointed not to die over a cliff but upon a cross for the sins of the world so as the text says he went away he went back to capernaum where they would receive him in his message Hometown rejection or not, Jesus is bent on his mission. Remember what I read at the beginning, our gospel at St. Timothy's from last week. Jesus stands up in the synagogue and reads, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind." to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Whether or not the Nazarenes accept him, Jesus is going to proclaim good news to the poor. He will proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He's going to announce this through signs and wonders, but ultimately he's going to accomplish this by his death and resurrection on the cross and in the in the empty tomb. Now, the Nazarenes don't want anything to do with this they don't want anything to do with this messianic mission so what does jesus do does he call down fire and brimstone from heaven in judgment no it's worse he went away he removes his presence from nazareth and goes to capernaum he goes to those who will join him in his mission Now notice the difference in response in Capernaum to his preaching. Remember the Nazarenes, what were they captivated by? His gracious words. In Capernaum, the text says he was teaching them on the Sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Unlike the Nazarenes who flattered him for his style, in Capernaum they are astonished at the content of his doctrine. The very teaching that the Nazarenes simply could not accept because of their pride. So, how does this apply to us? Think of the four movements of the Nazarenes again here in in response to Jesus. Flattery, envy, entitlement, and anger. Now think about the past week. If I'm being honest, all of these manifestations of pride have reared their ugly heads in my life this past week unlike the nazarenes we don't encounter jesus in the flesh but we are all surrounded by people that jesus is working through to build his kingdom some of whom have very apparent and public gifts that people are attracted to like the nazarenes with jesus initially we find ourselves drawn to these people but are we drawn to them because we want to join them in kingdom mission or because of what we get from them? These people could be preachers or teachers or musicians or elders or just magnetic, charismatic people that are the movers and shakers in the church. And we want to be in their orbit. Why? Why? Because it's exciting. It makes us feel good to be around them and to be seen with them. We speak well of them because it makes us look good to approve of them. Remember the definition of flattery, excessive and insincere praise, given especially to further one's own interests. Never has this been a more present reality than in the age of social media. (laughs) One look at Instagram, and we soon notice that it mainly consists of us heaping praise on people publicly publicly when we see someone posting a picture we don't pick up the phone and say hey i really like that picture or hey i noticed you were at such and such a place i really want to encourage you about this no what do we do we 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 like them and we post a comment there is that were we doing that to sincerely encourage them or to place ourselves in their orbit to be seen by others to further our own reach to gain more followers and to ultimately become like them as a recipient of public adoration. Yes, I'm looking up there you kids. We do it too, okay? Is it flattery? Flattery very quickly turns to envy. If those people that we are initially attracted to disappoint us, we can very easily start to resent them perhaps they don't return our praise or like the nazarenes we find out who they really are so they were up here in our minds but now they're down here because they've disappointed us has ever happened to you you're initially attracted to this wonderful person but then you figure out wait a second they're a human being with flesh and blood now we're envious and we think why are they getting all the glory and attention what do they have that i don't have i should be in their role I know the real them, and it's not what people think. Soon that feeling of envy takes root and prevents us from letting Jesus do his work in us, just like the envy of the synagogue prevented Jesus from carrying out his work amongst the Nazarenes. Soon we find that we are consumed by thoughts bent on discrediting or disparaging the one we are envious of, and the work of Jesus in us grinds to a halt, even as we try inadvertently to sabotage god's work in them but this is really insidious we don't realize that we're doing this it becomes a kind of righteous crusade you know i don't think that person is who people think they are you know really it's it's envy but we we try to kind of discredit them and and uh sabotage them i've got a confession to make on this point uh there's a there's a one of my friends fuji has just started coming to saint timothy's over the last number of weeks he's in the choir now uh, he's going to Alpha. Uh, he's come to know the Lord, and it's really exciting. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really great to see God working in his life. On Friday, I called Ken, or Ken called me, and uh, we talked about this Sunday and how I'll be preaching and stuff like that. And I asked him how his sermon went last Sunday. And he, he mentioned to me that Fuji responded really well and sent him a really encouraging email about his sermon. Now, what do you think was my knee-jerk heart reaction to this news? (laughs) It should have been awesome. This is great. Fuji's being edified. He's growing in grace. Ken's using his gifts. The kingdom is advancing. The gospel is going forward. But was that my first reaction? I'm ashamed to say that no, it wasn't. Wait a second. Does Fuji like Ken's sermons more than mine? Right? Fuji's my guy. I brought him here. I'm discipling him, not Ken. What does Ken have that I don't have? It was my sick, black, prideful, sinful, envious heart doing its thing. Right? And those types of things are insidious. They, they take root, and we, and the, the enemy comes and whispers to us, yeah, those feelings are, are justified. They're justified, but they're not or not lord have mercy on me anybody relate to this yes i'm glad i'm glad i'm not the only one on to entitlement entitlement seems to be a distinguishing feature of our age whether in the church or in the world and as christians this especially emerges when we start to go through suffering that's when entitlement really shows itself we're happy little christians when things are going smoothly for us right? But when suffering comes, what do we do? We shake our fist at God. How could you do this to me, God? I don't deserve this. I've been a good Christian all my life. I've been tithing every Sunday. I go to church every Sunday. I'm giving of my time and talent and treasure, and you repay me with suffering. When we really think about this, this is a very, very dark place to be, We know full well that other good Christians are suffering terribly in this world, but as long as we're not suffering, we're not mad at God. What does that reveal about us? We've all had these thoughts. I've had these thoughts. What this ultimately boils down to is that deep down inside, we think God owes us. We think God owes us. We think he owes us a happy, healthy, carefree life. And when we don't get it, how could you do this to me, God? We're spiritually entitled. When we look at Scripture, of course, we learn that God indeed owes us something. God owes us something, all right. Finish this verse for me. The wages of sin is death. That's what God owes us. Death. God owes us death and hell. But instead... Out of his great love for us, he gives us the life, death, and resurrection of his own beloved Son. He gives us Jesus. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He adopts us as his own children. He gives us Christ. He gives us everlasting life. He gives us everything. And yet, we still think that he owes us something. How could you do this to me, Lord? We're entitled. We're entitled. Our entitlement naturally transitions to anger we're angry at the church we're angry at our pastor we're angry at council we're angry at the music (laughs) sorry we're (laughs) angry i'm very thankful for you very thankful Uh, we're, we're angry at the people that have disappointed us right we're angry at the people in church that have hurt us we've got wounds and it all it all stems from that wounded pride what's the remedy for all this what's the solution What is the solution for my flattery, envy, entitlement, and anger? There's only one. It's the cross. It's the cross. At the cross, we see the one who had every reason to be entitled and angry, dying for you and for me. We see our blessed Lord who had every right to come down from the cross and to wipe out his enemies, instead saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Hmm. Our only hope for our pride is receiving and responding to the spirit of the crucified one so that we can take up our cross and follow him. That's the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is embracing the way of the cross, which is the way of humiliation. The way down, the way of washing feet, the way of cleaning toilets. That is what Christianity is about. It's it's the crucified Lord, the God on a cross, who says to us, Take up your cross and follow me. Follow me. It's a hard way but let me tell you that it's also sweet because it enables us to let go of all the envy and entitlement and anger that is rotting us from the inside out and to replace it with the spirit of humility the holy spirit of jesus the spirit of the crucified and that's good news today for us that's good news let's pray Lord Jesus Christ, we are so humbled by your humility. You did not consider equality with God something to hang on to, but you emptied yourself, taking on the form of a slave, suffering even death, death even on a cross. But we know that therefore God highly exalted you, And has given you the name that is above every name. And we pray that you would enable us to bow the knee to you, to humble ourselves, to come before you as our Lord, and to embrace the cross and enable us to take up our own cross and follow you. We pray that you would heal us on the inside, heal us of our envy and of our entitlement and of our pride, and of our anger. And help us to follow you. We pray that as we come to the communion table, that we would encounter you in these holy mysteries. This we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.